Welcome to the First Assembly podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message and find encouragement through the Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's a lot of years ago. And uh, as Pastor Ben said, uh, our, our lives have been intertwined with this church for many years. I was on staff for quite a number of years. And then 18 years ago, you launched us into missions, planting churches in the former communist uh, nations of Eastern and Central Europe. And, and I love coming back to the house and just sharing uh, the good things that uh, we have the privilege of being involved in. And today I have a special report for you because you have been involved in a great project out in, uh, out in uh, Siberia, Russia. And so since I was with you last, I had the absolute joy and privilege of, oh, sorry, i gotta, got to position us. First of all, that red star is a city called Novokuznetsk. Let's say that together. Novokuznetsk. Oh, wow. We говорите по-русски очень хорошо. Классно. And it is, um, it's uh, right out in the center of Siberia. All those yellow, yellow stars are churches that have already been established. There's many, many others as well. They're not showing. And this is Ilya and Janet, some of my heroes. I love this couple. They are just awesome. And they've got a vision to plant 200 church, uh, new churches in Siberia and Russia. And uh, we've been helping them with that now for a number of years. And it was my absolute joy... Uh, since I was with you last, to have a team from First Assembly come out there. And you see Pastor Ben, Pastor Sarah, Werner and Edna, and Jim and Molly. And uh, it was uh, so awesome to have a team from my home church come. And they sponsored this missionary conference, blessed the missionaries. Pastor Ben did an awesome job of uh, uh, preaching a series of messages of operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, which is exactly what they need. And uh, We have the joy, if you ask me what my job description is, I would say my job is I support heroes. I told the first service that sometimes with limited time, you never know what stories to share, but I got to tell one I didn't tell in the first service real quickly. I was there three weeks ago and there was a wedding service with a couple by the name of Dima and Juliana. Dima's story is quite remarkable. He, uh, this couple were together for about 14 years. They had four kids, never married. And Dima was a hopeless drug addict, alcoholic, and Juliana finally just kicked him out. So he ends up in a teen challenge program with uh, the church in Novokuznetsk, gets beautifully transformed. Jesus totally transforms his life. Then he goes through the missionary program, the church planting program, and he goes back to his village wanting to plant a church and his wife. Now Now he's a Christian, right? And his wife doesn't want anything to do with him. So Juliana now, she leaves. She goes, visits another, well, she gets brought to another one of the churches out there, get saved. And now God brought them back together and they just got married three weeks ago and he's planting a church. Isn't that cool? And get this, he's planting a church in a village called Novostiet, which means new light. (laughs) That's pretty good, eh? And we've helped him set him up in a little micro business so that he can just be a, a real blessing to his community. So that's what God is doing amongst our missionaries. But 2018 has been the year of buildings. I've talked to you when I've been here in the past about a couple by the name of Ruslan and Mash. I'll show you their photo in just a moment. And they had a dream to plant a church in a sport gym. They're quite athletic and they, this, they thought this would be a great way to come uh, bring people to Christ. And so we've uh, helped them rent a building over the last several years. And this past year, we helped them to buy a building for a permanent home for the Life Center. This is Ruslan and Masha and their daughter, Stesha. 
And now they have an apartment right in the Life Center. So they're living right in this community called Tachilina, a very deprived, depressed part of Novokuznetsk. And they're believing for the kingdom of God to come and for this Life Center to be exactly that, a center of life, kingdom life, for Tachilina. There's the, new, uh, there's the church meeting in the new uh, uh, church uh, uh, room. And um, they also have a, uh, uh, oh, there's Ristland leading worship. A lot of young people there, lots of life. And here's the new sports gym. That's just one of the three rooms that are now dedicated. And in this community, there's just nothing for people. And so now people can come and they use the sports gym. They build relationship with them. Um, and uh, they actually invite many of them to the other exercise classes, the total fit classes. And they have to sit through a 10-minute gospel presentation at the end of every exercise class. Isn't that cool? And that's where people are getting saved. Amazing. And uh, that's where they're coming into the church. And so... Um, the church is growing, and again, just lots of young people, because there's, there's no place for these kids to hang out in Tachilina, and so they're all coming to the Life Center. And so we prophesy life, life over the Life Center. And um, the other cool thing is we're helping them with new models, and so trying to think of doing church a different way. And so this building is a multi-purpose building. And there's a two-bay car wash. So they've got a little car wash business that provides revenue to support the church. And so it's a self-sustaining church plant. Isn't that cool? And uh, lots of other little business opportunities that they're exploring. And uh, it's not just about creating revenue, too, but they're interacting with people in the community, right? We're, we're to be salt and light. And so that is so cool. And then this next building, this is the one I want to really want to talk to you about this morning because you, First Assembly, you've had a huge part in uh, purchasing this building as a satellite congregation for the church in Novokuznetsk. And in fact, when uh, Ben and uh, Werner and others were out there last year, they saw this building. Man, God just gave them faith and vision that we were to get this building for the church as a satellite congregation. And so uh, you guys have raised, uh, you raised $100,000. You're the anchor donor. And that faith gave them just, just faith that they could actually get this building. It's really quite a miracle. And you are a huge part of that miracle. And so, Father, I just bless. I bless, Father God, what this church has given. You said in your word, Lord, that if we given, it is going to be given unto us a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, poured into our lap. And I pray, Father God, that the gift that First Assembly has given, Lord, will be multiplied, multiplied many, many, many times in the name of Jesus as they have sown into the nations. Lord, I pray, Father God, that that blessing is going to come back at them big time, big time in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. So, Drusia, Molotzi, Molotzi, that means well done, well done. Give yourself a hand for uh, contributing that great, great uh, gift. And so uh, they got the building in, oh, yeah, look at it. It's right in the center of Ilinka, a region called Ilinka. A hundred thousand people that need to hear the gospel. And hardly any churches in this area at all. And now they've got this amazing building right in the center. And you were a huge part of that. They got the building in February, started praying for the, uh, for the uh, community. And then they did their launch service in, uh, at Easter in April. And it was a joyous celebration. 300 people gathered. 22 people gave their lives to Christ. And so they're off to a flying start. 
And um, I mentioned this in the first service, but again, I just want you to know that uh, speaking with Janet and Ilya just the other day, and they just pass on their thanks. They're so grateful to this church for what you have done in helping to get this building for their whole satellite program. And uh, they just wanted me to share that with you specifically. And they're so grateful, they actually put together a little video that I could show this morning so that you can actually participate in their celebration uh, uh, or launch service. So we're gonna show that right now and just, uh, just pretend that you were there three, or about a month ago. Isn't that cool? Well done, First Assembly. Woo! Just having a little drink of water over there. I have a little baptismal service myself. (laughs) Anyway, my church, that's what they're calling it now, Maya Tzerkev, my church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stop it. What a great name. Anyway, it is an absolute privilege for me to be able to participate in the current series called Who is Jesus? I really do feel now part of the team, part of the house. And so Pastor Ben gave me like the most amazing scripture to speak on this morning. In fact, if I was to give a prize, like this would be for me first prize in all of the New Testament. The most incredible scripture is that these words that Jesus spoke. And he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Wow, those are just amazing, poignant words that uh, Jesus speaks. What we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the, the full context of the scripture in which Jesus speaks these words because he's preparing to go to the Father, and he's kind of warning the disciples that he is going to be leaving them. And of course, as you can imagine, they're quite upset about that. And so Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how do we know the way? And then Jesus makes this famous statement. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him 
and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And so, Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, again, that you just uh, release your anointing, Lord. We know your word is anointed, but anoint me to give it. Anoint our ears to receive it, our hearts uh, to receive it as well. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, I actually get to talk about three I am statements. And I actually see this as kind of Jesus' threefold mission to planet Earth. So let me, let me explain. So he says, I am the way. I am the way. The only way to the Father. I am the way. The only way to the Father. This is an incredible declaration that Jesus makes about himself. He didn't say, I am our way or I am one way, or I am one of many ways. He said, I am the way, the only way to the Father. Back when uh, we were actually still fairly new believers ourselves, we were kind of running the new believers ministry here at First Assembly, again, back when dinosaurs, dinosaurs roamed the earth. And so... Um, Remember one night we had this, uh, this uh, study and I told all, everyone in the class to invite your unsaved friends. And uh, we were going to just walk through all the claims that Jesus made and have an open discussion about it. So I invited some friends. I was working at Shell at the time as a professional engineer and I invited a friend of mine by the name of Keith. And everybody brought their friends. And we had an interesting discussion that night. It was quite an eclectic group. And um, we came to this passage of scripture. I am the way, the only way to the Father. And, you know, we began to discuss it. And there was this one lady there, and she was quite troubled by this, of course. And she says, oh, you know, uh, maybe not. I don't know if Jesus really meant that. You know, maybe, maybe he kind of meant this. And she was a bit kind of new agey. And my friend Keith, the engineer, you got to love those engineers. He kind of called her out. He says, he says, I don't know where you're getting any of that from. He says, it's obvious what he's saying. I don't necessarily believe it, but it's obvious what he's saying. It's obvious. It's obvious. It's an unequivocal, clear statement by Jesus. There's no confusion, no misunderstanding what Jesus says. I am the way, I am the only way to the Father. It's funny, you know, when, when in my family, again, there's a number of family members who don't have a relationship with Jesus, and we've had some fairly loud discussions over the years. And it's interesting that sometimes I can talk about God and maybe you've noticed this with some of your friends. You can talk about God, and that's not too threatening. But when you begin to talk about Jesus Christ, all of a sudden it raises their hackles, and they know now what God you're talking about, that he is the one who claimed to be the only way to the Father. So why would Jesus make such a statement? Because in our society, you know, where tolerance has almost become a religion itself, it does seem to the unregenerate mind to be such an exclusive statement. How can anyone say that they're the only way to God? It seems so intolerant. That's what they would accuse us of. What about all the other faith groups? What about, what about people who don't believe that Jesus is the only way? Why would Jesus make such a statement? Well, again, I apologize this morning for maybe a little bit of Theology 101, but we need to explore why Jesus 
made this statement. And I want to throw a, a, a thought to you that is this. Jesus Christ did not come to start a new world religion. He did not come to start just another philosophy, another new religion. Jesus Christ came in fulfillment of the promises that God gave from the outset of human history that one day God would send a deliverer, someone who would come to save mankind from their sins, to redeem humanity, to restore relationship with God, which had been broken by our sin. He came to deal with the sin issue. He came to deal with the sin issue. Of course, a lot of people don't really think they have a sin issue. Most people think they're pretty good people, right? <laughs> Jesus came to deal with the sin issue. When we were doing our New Believers class, I had a colleague, and she asked, she asked God about this one time. She said, Lord, like, what is it about sin that so rankles you that you just can't tolerate sin? Like, you know, why can't you just kind of sweep it under the rug, pretend it? It doesn't exist or, you know, why, why does it, why, why, why are you so intolerant towards sin? And so anyway, the Lord gave uh, this lady a really cool dream. And in her dream, she was in, she found herself in this amazing mansion. It was like white everywhere. The carpets were like white velvet. The, the uh, furniture was, was just white, spotless. It was clean. It was beautiful. It was, it was pure. And she's just, you know, enjoying the glory of this, this place. And all of a sudden, there's a knock on the door. And she goes to the door, and she opens it up. And here is a crowd of little children, and they're all covered in mud and just every kind of blah that you can imagine. And she looked at them, and she loved them. She loved them. Everything inside of her wanted to invite them in, but she couldn't because they would defile they would defile the place. And it's, God hates it. Sin cannot exist in his presence. He can't, he can't, uh, it just cannot abide. It cannot abide in his presence. And so he had to do something about it. He had to do something about it. And we as believers, we understand that he, he, he did that through the person of Jesus Christ. How did he do it? Something called, in a theological term, called substitutionary atonement. Again, Theology 101. This whole idea of atonement means that where there has been an offense, there must be a penalty paid. Where there has been a crime, there has to be a penalty paid. And there must be atonement. There must be payment for the crime. God is just. He can't just excuse it. There must be a payment. And yet there's this whole idea of substitutionary atonement where someone who's not guilty of the crime can actually stand in place for someone who is. So if Pastor Ben was driving too fast, got into an accident, caused all kinds of problems, they're going to send him to jail. And, uh, and uh, uh, Cliff steps in and says, uh, Your Honor, I have never been guilty. I've never sped in my life. Isn't that right? I've never sped in my life. I'm not guilty. Could I stand in his place? And the judge says, well, okay, I guess someone's got to pay the crime. Someone's got to pay, but yeah, if you're willing to stand in there, then, then you can do it. That's kind of the whole idea of substitutionary atonement. Well, when it comes to sin, we're all guilty, right? And Jesus made it really clear. He said, if you've ever had a bad thought about a brother, you're actually guilty of murder. Oh, 
How many murderers in the house? <laughs> I got my hand up. So we're all guilty. We're all guilty. That's the problem. We're all guilty. Everybody's guilty. So who has the right credentials to be able to step in and act as a substitute for us? There's only one person, and that's God himself. There's only one person who has the proper credentials, the right stuff, who is without sin. That's God. It's God. That's why he, he stepped onto the human stage. He, he veiled himself. and he, 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 put on, he put on human flesh today like we put on our clothes and stepped into human history. And 33 years after that event, he, he died on a cross as a payment for the sins of the world. But here's the thing. We go, okay, yeah, Greg, I know that, I know that. But what you, you got to understand is God, only God, has the credentials to do that. That's why it's so important that we understand his deity, that he is Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh. And that's why he says, that's why he can say, I am the only way. I'm the only way. I'm the only way to the Father. Jesus Christ is the only way. So let me attempt to deal with the elephant question in the room. What about all those people who've never heard of Jesus Christ? What happens to them? And um, when they stand before God, um, you know, what happens to them? Well, the honest answer is we don't fully know. I mean, God is the judge. He is a just judge. But there are some clues from the book of Romans in particular that helps us understand. Um, Paul does this amazing theological treatise where he talks about how salvation is actually by faith. It's always been about faith. And it's interesting because although we look back to the events of Calvary 2,000 years ago and we understand his name was Jesus, we understand all of the, all of the things that happened, we, 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 we know the whole story in the same way people who lived before that time, they looked ahead to that event not knowing his name, not knowing the events that would happen and, and how God would send this deliverer, but they looked forward with that same faith and they didn't know his name. But they would be saved by the same faith. That's the whole point that Paul makes, even of Abraham. He says, Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness, but not by works, that's what Ephesians 2.8 says, that it is by grace that we're saved. Through faith, this is not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. And you know what? It's that same faith that saves us as we look back to the cross is the same faith that saves them that looked ahead to what God was going to do, the fact that he was going to send a deliverer. It's always by faith. Always by faith. By grace, through faith. Well, that's maybe a little clue for how God deals with people who maybe don't, have never heard the name of Jesus, but I also have my own personal conviction. And that is this, that when God sees a heart that is crying out to him, a heart that is not trusting in their own righteousness, but really uh, leaning on the mercy of God, that God has a way of making himself real to that person. Over the last few years, I've shared uh, this story a couple times. I'll just share it real briefly now. When we were working in Crimea a number of years ago, we were working with this guy. 
uh, Andre, who wanted to plant churches amongst Muslim Tatars. And of course, um, that's, a, that's a challenging group to meet. And anyway, they learned of a, a group of people that were uh, meeting in a small village in Crimea. And when they went there, they, they, they said, well, how do all these Tatars, these Muslim people, how do they all become Christians? And they found out that this lady here was the first Tatar Christian, former Muslim. And long story short, when she was giving birth to her sixth child, um, there was all kinds of problems that set in, and she ended up in a coma for two months. And they had decided that she was never going to come out of her coma. On the very, uh, they were going to unplug her, and on that very day, she woke up out of her coma. And she was all excited. And, and basically, she explained that while she was in her coma, Isa, they called Jesus Isa, Isa visited her and assured her that everything was going to be okay. And from that moment, she became a solid believer in Jesus Christ and Isa and began to tell all of the others in her, in her village. And during that same project, we had a brother who was working with us from a team um, in Kuwait, a multi-denominational team in Kuwait. And he told us story after story after story of people that would come to the church and say, uh, Isa has appeared to me in a vision or a dream, and he told me to come here to learn about him. I'll tell you what, God is just. He's a loving God. And when people have an open heart to him, I believe that there are ways that he reaches out to him. And of course, the best way is he sends people. He sends you and I to share the good news of the gospel because Jesus Christ, he is the way. One thing is for sure, when we're in heaven a million years from now, everyone that is there, the only thing that we will boast about is the fact that we have all come through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and what he has done. He's the only acceptable atonement. The only proper sacrifice. He is the way. He is the way. He is the way. He is the only way to the Father in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Number two, he says, I am the truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. What does he mean by that? Well, I would say that Jesus Christ is truth personified. He is the truth of God in human flesh. Colossians chapter 1 says he is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1, he, the Son, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Philippians 2, uh, 6 to 8, uh, basically says that Jesus Christ, being in very nature God, he humbled himself and he took on the very nature of a servant and was made in human likeness. And we've already read earlier, it says, when you see me, you see the Father. You see the Father. Jesus Christ came to show us the Father. He came to show us what God is like. Um, I heard a preacher one time say that Jesus is perfect theology. And I go, well, what does that mean? And then I thought about it for a second. Well, wait a minute. Theology is the study of God. Everything we know about God is through our study of God, theology. And, uh, well, um, everything we know about God, everything we understand about God the Father is because of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus Christ. So, yeah, he is, the, he is literally perfect theology. In fact, without Jesus, we would have no way of understanding what God was really like. I mean, there's all kinds of different religions out there, and some of them see God as a pretty nasty person just waiting to crush us like a bug. 
How do you know God is loving? Because Jesus demonstrated his love. How do you know God is merciful? Because he said to the woman caught in adultery, I don't condemn you. Go sin no more. How do we know God is gracious and loving? Because Jesus modeled all of these things. He showed us every attribute of the Father. He said, when you see me, you see the Father. Pretty amazing plan that, that God had. Not only did he come into the, the world to be an atoning sacrifice, but he, he came to show us what he was like. There's this thing, this, this plan in Scripture called the progressive revelation of God. In Romans 1, it talks about the fact that actually people should understand God just by the things that he's made. And yet, sometimes people end up worshiping the very things that God has made rather than the God himself. And then there was the Old Testament saints, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and people knew about God through their relationship with him, and later Israel, and, and unfortunately they didn't always get it right. And there were the prophets too, but even, even when Israel was, um, the other nations, they, they would always go, wow, the God of Israel, he's the true God. He's the true God. So God would use that to show the world what he was like, and yet that wasn't enough. And at some point, God decided, you know, I'm going to have to go and show them what I'm like. And again, he put on human flesh, came and lived among us, and he showed us. He showed us God. When you see me, you see the Father. The perfect representation of the invisible God. He came to show us. He is the truth. He is the truth. He is the truth of God in human flesh. I am the way and I am the truth. In a world, again, where truth seems to become so, like, relative, and, and God's design for humanity and for the family, it just seems to be under attack every way. We need to hold up the fact that Jesus Christ, he is the truth of God. I am the truth, God's truth in human flesh. Finally, in this third part of Jesus' mission, not only is he the only acceptable sacrifice, the only atonement for the sins of humanity, not only is he the truth of God in human flesh, but Jesus also says, I am the life. I am life. In John 1.4, the scripture says, in him was life. In him was life, and that life was the light of men, or the light of humanity. In him was life. 1 John 1, 5, 12 says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Again, another exclusive statement. You want life? The only place you will find it is in Jesus Christ. He is the way. He's the life. I remember uh, two days after I gave my life to Christ, I was flying home to Calgary, and I got saved down in Nova Scotia, and I was flying down back to Calgary, and I was, I was thinking, man, this is incredible. I'm saved. I'm saved. This plane can crash right now, and I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Because the Bible says the moment we give our lives to Christ, our names are written in heaven. Our sins are forgiven. We trade our shame for his righteousness. Man, that is like the best deal on the planet. 
And I thought, what a, what a, I was no longer afraid of death. And that plane could have crashed and I was ready. I was ready to, to meet Jesus. And eternal life is so awesome to be there. We're going to be with Jesus for the next billion years and another billion years after that and another billion years after that. That boggles your mind. But you know what is so cool? We don't have to wait for heaven. Jesus came to give us life right now. Eternal life starts now. The moment you give your life to Christ, eternal life starts now. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it to the maximum. Have it more abundantly. He wants us to live lives here and now that reflect his goodness, that reflect him. We get a taste of his kingdom right now. We don't have to wait till we go to heaven to experience that joy and that peace and that righteousness. We can get a taste of it right now. And the cool thing is we get to share it with others. I once heard it said that uh, evangelism is nothing more than one beggar telling another beggar where they found the bread. That's cool, eh? He wants you to experience that life right now, right now. Just going to leave you with two more scriptures. John 17, 3. The reason you're here is to know, know him. It's to know God. That's why we're on planet earth right now. This is eternal life. That they would know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. But this, this next part is the one I, I really, really like. Some people wrestle with, what is the will of God for my life? Let me tell you the will of God for your life. The will of God for your life is that you would be fruitful. That you would bear much fruit for his kingdom, showing yourselves to be his disciples. And you might go, oh boy, that feels heavy. Oh no, it's fun. It's fun to see people set free, to see people healed, to see, people, see people's lives transformed. Man, that, that's the best. It's the best. Jesus didn't, die just so we can have nice lives and a, and a cabin at the lake and go on nice holidays. Those are all great things, but that's not the priority. It's not the priority. The priority is that we give ourselves every day to serve him and to tell others about Jesus. Freely you've received. Freely give. That's what he said to us. And it's life. It's life. It's so good. I'll tell you what, you don't want to live a boring Christianity when there's so much excitement to be involved in his kingdom. Whether it's here or in Siberia, it makes no difference. Jesus said, I am the life. He came to give us abundant life. He's got life for you today. He's got life for you today. He's the way. He is the truth, and he is the life. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just bow our heads, close our eyes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you that I experienced that life almost 36 years ago. So grateful, Lord, that you rescued me. That, Lord, you gave me a a life, and you gave me purpose in this life. And Lord, I know where I'm going. I know why I'm here. I know where I'm going. And that's the same for every one of my friends in this place. 
I thank you, Lord, that you place your spirit in us so that the very same things that you did, we get to do as well. We get to be involved in, in expanding your kingdom, declaring the good news of who you are. And so, Lord, I pray that for my friends here today. I thank you for what you're doing in First Assembly. And I pray, Lord, I pray for every one of us that we would experience true life, true life, true life. And there would be joy and excitement as we see your kingdom go forth in this city. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. If there's anyone here this morning, just keep your eyes closed, your heads bowed, please. If there's anyone here this morning and you've never experienced that life that I'm speaking about. You've not yet surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Today's your day. There'll never be another better opportunity. You wanna say, Greg, I just wanna give my life to God. I wanna surrender myself to Him. I wanna experience that life that you're speaking about. If that's you, I just want you to raise a hand quickly and I'll see you and I'll just pray for you. Anyone in the house this morning? Say, I want to give my life. Thank you very much. Anyone else? Anyone else? Promise not to embarrass you. We're just going to pray for you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Just going to wait just a second. You can put your hands down. Father, you see these that have raised their hands. And Lord, maybe others that wanted to, but maybe didn't for whatever reason, but you, Lord, you know in their hearts, they're yielding themselves to you. And so Father, we pray today, Lord O'Gay, would be the day of salvation, a day of new beginnings in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord, your life, your life for my friends, Lord, that they would know the joy, the peace, and the righteousness of your kingdom and every blessing that you have for them, Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. So thank you, Father. So Lord, as we leave this place today, I pray, Lord, that we won't just say that was a nice service, but Lord, we will go into the mission field in Calgary, and Lord, ready to share your love and your goodness and your joy in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. For those of you who did raise your hands, please don't leave today. I'd like you to come to the front and later and just introduce yourself to me. I'd like to pray for you or one of the other staff members here. And we're just going to close the service now just by worshiping. Guys, you did an awesome job earlier, so just lead us again into the Lord's presence. Thank you so much for listening to this message. We pray that you have received truth and have been encouraged. For more information about First Assembly, how to get connected, and to listen to our latest worship albums, please visit our website at www.fa.church.